yeah, there is a... You know, when we get to section 76, we're going to talk about a select group of people uh, that can, can commit the unpardonable sin. And they become the sons of perdition. As opposed to the sons of God, they become the sons of perdition, the sons of the devil. Uh, and for him, them, no, there really isn't. That is... But, but if you look at the things that uh, are required to be able to do that, you really... Joseph said you have to stand in the light of day and, to, and deny you see the light. I don't. There's nobody in this room that even comes close. Those who's calling elections. Yeah, the church have to have the calling election make sure. I mean, they have to be really in in, in, a, in a great place. And then sons of perdition, because uh, then ultimately Lucifer will have to be looking up at at Cain. But basically, because he's got a body and he never will. So, and, and, and the amazing thing about that, again, we'll, we'll see it again when we get to 76. There's no information. Joseph wasn't even seen that thing. He saw the glories, but he was not really, really permitted to see that because it's just it's so dark and so it's kind of place. So, yeah, yeah. If there's no doubt or darkness where no, no man has seen, how do we know that? Section 76. Yeah. He says that they're thrown into a place that no man has seen. How do we know that? Just, uh, but I mean, how do we know that, that he will look up to Cain? Oh, because Cain has kind of told that, you know, when Cain falls, and when you look in the uh, great Christ, oh, okay. that he will rule over Satan. Uh, and he's told that. That's the good news, you rule over Satan, but the bad news is you're... It's always a bad thing. I know. It never gets to be good. It doesn't. Okay. Anything else you heard over the weekend? I did have a lady tell me that uh, was working on trying to, instead of beating herself up with her to-do list, she was trying to celebrate what she does more on a regular basis. And uh, so she says instead of focusing on to-dos, she's trying to focus on to-dos. <laughs> so was really good. We want, we want to-dos instead of to-do. Okay? Yeah. Um, okay, this. Well, this Okay. Yeah. Joe Joe Austin. I saw that. Go, 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 go ahead and say it. He, he supports us as universities. Yeah, this is uh he he's only got forty thousand a sacrament meeting there in Houston. I was yeah, I was kind of amazed by that. I mean we had two prominent uh uh Interesting uh, endorsements of a sort, and Joel Olstein was one saying that uh, Mormons have dis- different traditions, but we are still Christian brothers and sisters, which I thought was amazing. And then the other one, of course, was uh, Pastor Jeffers, uh, downtown Dallas, saying that he was uh, he was now endorsing Mitt Romney and uh, would be all right with that. So there are shifts. I'm telling you, it's going to be an amazing six months or so. Well, some of his predecessors, I know when I was on my mission in the Great Lakes Mission, way back 69. Yeah. There were some Pastor Chris Wells. like him that 
Yeah, I just think, this is, like I said, this is this is coming up constantly and, and things like that, so it's a great time. In fact, I was uh, I just accepted an invitation in uh, about six weeks to, to speak at a, uh, it's, it's a senior living uh, place, not a retirement home, but a senior living kind of thing. And they're having a kind of ecumenical groups come in, and it's like we've had... We've had a Catholic priest in and a, and a rabbi, and but with Mitt Romney running, we need a Mormon in here to tell us what what Mormons believe, and uh, so I'll be there in about six weeks. So, can I go? Yeah, yeah, it's the one on Independence and uh, Bush over there. So. All right, well, good stuff, right there. I don't think that Pastor Jeffries is that Jeffers. Jeffers. Ever really acknowledge we were Christians, though? No, I mean, but 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 for him, very low key. it had to be low key because he was so over the top before. So he has, yeah. he has a, <laughs> Years and years and years, and a lot of the Christian community has just been, well, of course Mormons are a cult, and then there are there are a number of groups, and some are former Mormons, and some are just professional anti-Mormons, that have made their stock and trade in going around to pass to uh, congregations and getting paid to come in and present, this is why Mormons are evil. And, and so there's been a lot of that in the past, and this is the first time, really, I think there's been a pushback against that kind of thing, and because they're just used to saying it, and now they're... They're going, wait a minute, if I'm saying that it's a cult, then I, I may be catching some blowback on here. And people standing up and going, no, I know Mormons. They're not cult. Look at their fruits. Because it's funny, they will say, Mormons seem to be really nice people, and they give a lot, and they help out, and they love their families, and and they're they're upstanding citizens, and I like them as a co-worker, but they're cult. They're going, <laughs> Except that it doesn't, you know, if you look at their fruits, you go, it doesn't all fit. And that's part of the thing that I'm going to be trying to talk about in a few weeks. Yeah, right. I think along the same lines of what you were saying, that now people can go onto the world.org and they can see our yeah. Mormon and all those people on there, and those pastors are probably going there too and noticing that, hey, you know, maybe what I've been told is not right. Yeah, and. <laughs> Without trying to be too skeptical, there are a number of these two that uh, I remember working with a couple of pastors and they talked about the fact that they have 250 employees. You, you know, basically they, they work for the, 
then and if you're going to be too negative, that's going to that's going to impact in some way. So I don't know it's it's uh, it's kind of a fun time to be Latter Day Saint. Yeah, we got a taste of what it's, uh, <laughs> what what attitude of ignorant people that don't you know know anything about our church. We were at a um, a sales conference in Las Vegas, and there was a salesman from New York and one uh, gal from California. The guy from New York uh, didn't know that we're Mormons, so he didn't say anything. You know, it wasn't the setting to bring it up because we were talking politics, and then that led to. Oh yeah, and then there's men that Mormon. He said, "Said you know, those Mormons things, not to, not to, um, <laughs> to say I don't want to um, offend anybody or anything." And he didn't ask if everybody was Mormon. <laughs> but he said, "You know, uh, those Mormons are weird." He said that. that you know, there was a time when uh, we didn't know where Jesus was. And you know where he was? He was in New York talking to this guy that wrote that book. And then the girl from California said, yeah, I'll see. I'll see. We don't really agree. <laughs> so we just kind of let them talk to kind of get a feel for what they really do. But these people obviously have not investigated anything about the church. I mean, he just said, you know, that guy in New York wrote that book. <laughs> Okay. All right. Yeah. Somebody will go through the effort of like uh, compiling things that people have said, and this is one that kind of in the flight attendants union, the things that they have heard other flight attendants say o- over the uh, intercom. I know it's small. On landing, the stewardess said, uh, "Be sure to take all your belongings. If you're going to leave anything, please make sure it's something we'd like to have." After a particular rough landing in thunderstorm in Memphis, and I want you to think with a Memphis voice here, okay, Miss Tennessee, um, Northwest Flight was announced. Please take care when opening the overhead compartments, because after landing like that, short shooting, everything shifted. <laughs> Welcome aboard Southwest Flight 243. To operate your seatbelt, insert the metal tab into the buckle and pull tight. It works just like every other seatbelt. And if you don't know how to operate one, you probably shouldn't be out in public unsupervised. 
<laughs> In the event of sudden loss of cabin pressure, mask will descend from the ceiling. Stop screaming, grab the mask, pull it over your face. If you have a small child traveling with you, secure the mask before assisting with theirs. If you're traveling with more than one child, pick your favorite. <laughs> Southwest. They've also said if the person sitting next to you is acting like a child, help them with theirs. Help put theirs on too. I like that. <laughs> Weather our destination is 50 degrees with some broken clouds, but we'll try and have them fixed before we arrive. <laughs> Your seat cushions can be used for flotation. And in the event of an emergency water landing, please paddle ashore and take them with our compliments. <laughs> <laughs> then I love this one. Some of you have seen this. Deborah Jackson says she likes shopping at a dollar place because it's convenient and casual. I don't have to get all dressed up like going to Walmart or something. <laughs> getting dressed up in. <laughs> and again, for those of you who knew what, knew, what does this have to do with our lesson today? No, no. Nothing at all. It just wake you up. Yeah. Uh, the airline once, I heard yesterday that uh, one said, well, thank you for fl- flying Delta. We know you have your choice of, of many other bankrupt airlines. <laughs> <laughs> We know you have your choice of many other bankrupts. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay, now to get into what we're going to talk about uh, today, how many of you have been to uh, Independence? Okay, about yeah. half. Okay. Um, we are, we are now, we're now at the point where they've been waiting all this time to find out where is Zion? Where is it? And um, let's see if this guy. Ah, okay. If you haven't been, let me let me point out a couple of things. Rick, if I get this wrong, let me know. Okay. Um, when Joseph goes out to. Uh, and they're, they're in search of Zion. The Lord is going to designate this area right here. These are the original acres that Joseph dedicated. And the spot that, on which he was praying when he dedicated it is this little piece of property right here. That's the guy. That was the center. Um, and, and these days, of course, uh, the... Uh, the uh, Community of Christ, formerly the Reorganized Church, uh, has this plot and that guy. Okay, and there's another little one, the Church of the Cornerstone, the Church of the whatever that is, the Temple Lot Church. Right, that's their facility right here, and this guy is ours right there. Okay. Now, I've mentioned this before, but let me, let me say this again for those of you who don't know, uh, because originally the community of Christ had all of this. I've mentioned before how we got this lot. Anybody know? We traded it for, if you're going to be in Nauvoo, we traded it for the old burial ground. It gives you an idea of how important. Uh, 
So, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe we got, maybe we gave them part. Uh, I mentioned before that um, there was that moment when uh, uh, Truman Madsen had taken uh, Hubie Brown to the garden tomb in Gethsemane. And, and Hubie Brown was in his later years and not moving very well and they got up there and he showed him the tomb. Thank you. All right. What you missed on this recording was really good. But, but the batteries are now swapped out. Ask somebody that was there. Okay. Uh, so anyway, at the end of all that, then the discussion rolls around to Abraham. Uh, and they're talking about it's up on, if we go up the hill, up on top, Mount Moriah, why? And this is Truman Madsen's question to uh, Hubie Brown, who was then a member of the First Presidency. And he said, why, oh why, oh why, oh why, would the Lord require such a thing from Abraham? And Brother Brown's response was pretty quick. And he said, Abraham had to learn something about Abraham. Abraham had to come to know what the Lord already knew. But Abraham did not yet know that. And then it would be after that that Abraham, Abram, would become Abraham. Now there's a covenant in place. Yeah. I was just going to say, the Lord wants and needs a righteous people. Yes. Sometimes in our hearts we don't know how good we are. We don't know how much, how obedient we can be. Because we only see our experiences and we look through the lens of what we've done in our life and who we are or how people have treated us or what they've seen in us. And we, and we limit all of that based on our own experience. It always reminds me of David and Goliath what he slew before, showed him what he could Yes, I've done it for David and Goliath and before he ever showed up on the before he ever got on the plane with Goliath, he'd already been able to do another thing. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Good point. Going through some really tough experiences. I have my confidence waxed stronger when I'm difficult experience. Because you, your, your confidence waxes stronger because you know you better. Because you know what you've been able to do. And, then, and part of that testing process, by the way, is testing, can I trust the Lord, right? I'm going to trust me, can I trust Him? I say I do, but boy, when it really comes down to it, am I sure? Yeah. Well, I wonder sometimes if we're really honest about ourselves as church members, too, in this period, because we came in with this attitude of we're taking over, oh, uh, this yeah. is our state, oh. you know, this whole pride instead of a loving attitude, you know, we're voting blocks, we're doing all this stuff, if you're not warming, get out of our state, you know, we came in with this attitude instead of Love you, come join us. Yeah, I know. Right now. These were East Coast people trying to get away from establishment. They were on the frontier. Well, and a lot of these, and, and uh, if you look at who was in Independence, and Susan Mason Black has done a really nice job in researching all of this, they were predominantly from the South. They're predominantly slaveholders. And with the, with the, uh, with the Southern 
culture that was in place at the time, because then you're going to have plantation owners and, and those that aren't. And so there was all of the gentleman kind of club kind of thing, and, and for these people to come in and, and then say, by the way, this is our property. God gave us this land. Really? And there's more coming. And soon, well, wait a minute, someone like Lilburn W. Boggs, who owns a lot of property in Jackson County, and they're saying, this will be ours. Literally, some of, the, some of our tribulation in Missouri was self-inflicted because of our attitude. Perfect comment. Yeah, when you look at the new temple we just built there right now, it's being dedicated this weekend, but we went in, we bought the ground, we went to the government process, we got the permits, we built the building, we had approval, we had neighborhood meetings. Yeah. It wasn't, hey, this is ours, we're coming back. Yeah, we're coming back. Well, not only that, it was come see. Yeah, come, come tour. Open house, come tour. Come see what who we're about. I mean, I understand 75,000 people came from the community. You know? so, oh, that's awesome. And if we had done that the first time, might have been the least. Extended an extra week, by the way. That's cool. Yeah. I just always tell myself that faith is a muscle. And if you look at exercise therapy and trial and tribulation, it's like big trials, there's exercises that are shock exercises, and there's repetitive exercises yep. that you and once you lift it heavy for a long time, you know you can lift it again. It's like I I I believe. I, I guess I in my my personal feeling is we're gonna get up there and find out faith with the muscle of the spirit. Yes. The spiritual body and faith is somehow well, Joseph called it, uh, the faith is a principle in action. Faith is about action. And we have to know that we can do that. We have to be confident in ourselves and in the Lord. And that's why I think this is, this is so great when he talks about, after much tribulation come the blessings, and you're going to be crowned with glory. Um, and I'm going to tell you this, that you may lay it to heart and receive that which is to follow. Now, let me mention one other thing. If your family was living in Kirkland and you wanted to be to go to Missouri, there was a Temple Recommend interview, in a sense, that you would go through before your family could go and receive an inheritance in Missouri. And it started with the Ten Commandments. Can you believe all of these things? Yes. Does every member of your family believe all of these things? Yes. Will you consecrate everything that you have to the church and to the Lord? Yes. Except for the teapot that I got from my grandma. <laughs> it was an all or nothing process. And it was family by family by family by family to receive your inheritance. And part of what we're getting here is will you come and will you obey and will you consecrate Completely and wholly in order to do this. If not, you won't even be sent. Because there was a much higher standard required. So that's why when they struggled out there with consecration, that the Lord said, then you don't get to be here no more. Did they actually lose their property if they were yeah, once you consecrate, they did. If you're excommunicated, and it actually says at the end, I can't remember which section, 
And if you consecrated your XUK, then you left that behind. You kind of forfeit. Yeah? It might make it easier nowadays. We lose our house if you know, we break the commandments. I don't know. Oh, come on. <laughs> 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 and we had it set up so that if you. If you ended up with a church court and lost some things, you might also lose your property. Yeah, that would be an incentive. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what would it Thank, Thanks, Rick. I have to think about that. That's certainly up the ante. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember that the closest I could come to that, and I'm, I'm glad that they really don't do it anymore, but I remember as a at being in a, a BYU bishopric, you know, in the in the early 80s. And when kiddos would come into us and we hold a church disciplinary council and we would go through that process and we come back and it's like, well, the, the, the Spirit has confirmed that you're, that uh, you no longer remember the church. Wow. And not only that, then we have to take you down the next morning and check you out of BYU and put you on a plane and send you home. I mean, that was that was hard. And in some cases, I remember one case particular that that was really hard because this was the only member in a family and she really had no support at home. And I just thought, wow, well, the penalty on that was massive. And and this is another one of those evolutions of the church. They're not doing that. So, anyway. Okay, now. Yeah. I know it doesn't talk about this, but I, I think blessings without empathy is a bigger curse than blessings if you have empathy. And I think trials are to grow the muscle of empathy so that when you have blessings, so the church, the church went through a lot of trials. We have great empathy for the world. I mean, just how much welfare and generosity we have in the church because the church went through these trials. We know what it's like. You know what? That, that, that's a perfect comment. Simply because you're exactly right. Part of what happens if you, if you think in your own lives, if you have been through trial, if you've been through tribulation and you've struggled, and then how much more open are you to those that you're watching them struggle around you? And because of that, we were talking last week about the gratitude prayer, walking through the gratitude door in your prayers. What kind of gratitude? Your prayers are different as a result of the tribulation you've been through. Great point. Okay, so in order to prepare these saints to be in Missouri and to be in Zion, and I would and I would preface this by saying, look at us as a as a parallel piece to this. Because what we're saying to all of us here is that we also need to prepare ourselves to be in Zion. Part of Zion is here now, but we're also preparing for and praying for the Zion that is to come. So we are preparing for what is out there. So take this personally when we talk about what it takes to get ready for Zion. This is about discipleship. Okay? And I want you to hop over now, if you will, to section 59, 4-6. Somebody got that and want to read that one out loud? Save my voice. Yeah, thanks. And they shall also be crowned with 
blessings from above, yea, and the commandments not a few. Okay, stop for a second. Isn't this great? If you're going to do these things and you're going to be prepared and you're going to make it to Zion and you're going to get your inheritance. And what I'm going to give you is blessings from above and I'm also going to bless you with what? Commandments. Not a few. And I think we've said this before. What if I said this in a youth conference? <laughs> the Lord loves you. He's going to give you commandments, not a few. Are we really anxious sometimes to get more commandments? Why does he say that in this context? You're going to get blessings from above and commandments, not a few. What is a commandment? It's a what? It can feel like an order. It can feel like, here's another thing I can't do. But what context is he putting this in? Is it a way to, in order for him to bless us more? Okay, say that again, Lamar. It's a conduit for him to be able to bless us more. I'm going to give you commandments so that I can bless you more. That's what? Blessings from above and commandments, not a few, so I can give you blessings, more blessings from above. Therefore, I will give you more commandments on a few, so that I can give you more blessings from above. I really want to bless you, therefore I will give you more commandments. There will be an opportunity for me to bless you more. Yeah. Some of the way I look at commandments are kind of guys, you know what I mean? He's guiding us to where he wants to be, which is where we actually want to go. Right. So he's saying, do this, don't do that. It's basically saying, turn left here, not right. Isn't if you if you if today you walked into any Jim around here, and you said, I'm kind of fat, I'm kind of flabby, I need to be toned, I need to feel better, I don't like how I feel, I don't like how I look, my clothes aren't fitting and everything, I need a trainer, and what's the trainer going to give you? Commandments, not you. Right? If you want the blessings of this, I'm going to give you commandments, not you. Eat this, don't eat that, do this. Do another set. I don't want to do another set. I know. Got it out. You can do this. Okay? But if you came into the gym and you kind of have hard to do the things, yeah. you kind of just don't like how hard to do it. But if you're working really hard, really hard, you're just going to say, okay, now I want you to try this, try this, yeah. try this, you see your potential, see your potential, right. see that you are motivated to become the best. How many people do you know that will pay money to go to a gym and go over and sit in a gym Doing the doing the stuff and then walk out day after day and then say, you know what? I'm just not getting anything out of the gym. <laughs> My weight's going up. I think it's an awful gym. I, I, I don't like the people that run the gym. And as an example, I've been going to the gym every day and I'm just as heavy as I always was. In fact, maybe heavier. I think there's something wrong with that gym. What do you do? Well, you know, I see some people doing that, but they're, they seem to be kind of overzealous in what they're doing, but I'm just going to sit in the gym and, and try to absorb it. Somehow they're supposed to make me skinnier. It didn't happen. What did you do? Nothing. I just sat in the back. You talk about gyms? No. Yeah. This is great because I did join a gym, and I didn't do that. I'm like, this is so neat because at certain times I'm a guy who's working out. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
guy that's like, I'm going to sit in that sauna. right off. There it goes. And, you know, and not only that, there, there are other people, like lately, uh, with me, you know, I hold a gym membership. I've been in months. But if someone were to get, are you a member of a gym? Yes, I am. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay? All day long, the missionaries will be out knocking on doors. I'm a Mormon. Yes, you are. Great. You hold membership. Awesome. When was the last time you went? Uh, ten years. Getting anything out of it? No, nah, I never do. Okay, I just always sit in the back. That's another hand. Yeah. Um, not a few. And every, and every time I give you commandments, it will result in blessings and everything that's going to come to you. And just We have to get out of that mindset. It's kind of a teenage mindset that says another commandment is more things I can't do. Yeah, it's more restrictions. Exactly. Okay. Let's see. Sue, we're having a hard time finishing this verse, aren't we? Okay, let's keep going. And with revelations in their time. Oh. And on top of that, you're going to get revelations in your time. Let's keep going. They that are faithful and diligent before me, wherefore I give unto them a commandment, saying thus, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy might, mind, and strength. And in the name of Jesus Christ, thou shalt serve him. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt not steal, neither commit adultery, nor kill, nor do anything like unto it. Okay, now. Um... Neil Maxwell. The first commandment does not read, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God as thyself. This would be too little and the wrong kind of love. I want you to think through this. This is pretty good. Nor does the second commandment read, Thou shalt love thy neighbor with all thy heart, might, mind, soul, and strength. This would be neighbor worship. Whereas our perfect Father can be trusted with our bestowal of all of our devotion of heart, might, soul, and strength, we cannot, nor can our neighbor. So here comes the important point here. Moreover, only when proper love of God comes first can our love of self and neighbor be safely shaped and nurtured. Let me say that differently. and Let me say it through the eyes of a, of a counselor as a psychotherapist. If you are depressed, you cannot serve your, serve your way to mental health. You cannot. Even though it's suggested a lot. If your tank is empty and you think you're going to go out and serve till your fingers bleed... To, in order to feel better, and you still don't understand your love of the Lord, and you still loathe yourself, you, there's not enough service in this world to change that. Conversely, 
as you begin to feel better about yourself and you have a proper understanding of the Lord, then service becomes wonderful and powerful and healing. Does that make sense? I've just heard this advice way too often in the church. Somebody is really, really down and depressed and it's like, well, they just go out and serve. And they go out and serve and they feel worse and wonder, well, there's something wrong with me because of that. You can't do that. And, and Neil Maxwell is saying, before you can do that, before you can love your neighbor as yourself, you must first love the Lord and love yourself. Completely? No. But if you if you begin to start with service as a nat, the next natural step. Does that make sense? I just think you have to be so incredibly cautious of this. Because it, it is a real fallacy. Yeah. I was on mission right before they raised the law. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you came out of the lower bar thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I did too. <laughs> so, you I also got to be like you before they raised the bar on that. But you could definitely see a difference in missionaries that came out already with that yeah. mindset going, right. and missionaries that were sent because they maybe were struggling. If they were really having a hard time in life, and the mission will fix them? types of sacrifices. Sacrifice number one is the trespass or guilt offering. And, and again, to our sensibilities, this is a little bit gory, but they would bring, they would bring in the animal, bring in a calf um, or sheep, the lamb, and a guilt or trespass offering is one that would be done for things that I have done to trespass against my neighbor. A lot of times. Okay? And so what would happen is, is that they would sacrifice part of the animal. Another part of the animal would then go to the priest. It's part of their payment. You know, part of being a priest is you've got, I guess, a daily barbecue or something. Like that. Um, but it would go to take care of that. 
Uh, and then there would be part of that process that then you could then give something back to the people who trespassed again. There's on the Day of Atonement, uh, there would be a, a sacrifice uh, that would be done for all of Israel. This is where we get the two goats that are there, one the Jehovah goat, the other the Asazel goat, the, the devil goat. The Jehovah goat would be taken in and, and sacrificed and his blood would be sprinkled on the, on the altar and on the Holy of Holies. The Asazel goat, the sins would be placed on his head and he would be kicked out, cast out into the wilderness. And that would be done for the sins of all of Israel. And it was done on the Day of Atonement. And it was the one day that everybody got to speak in the, in the holy place area there. Because he would say, our God is the one God. And they would repeat that back and forth. Okay? So that is the trespass offering. Um, number two are the burnt offerings. These burnt offerings, you burn the whole animal. The whole thing. It's done twice a day in the temple. We talked about the burnt offerings that would go on a regular basis. Uh, they're going, these burnt offerings. Burning of the whole animal. And it's, it's symbolic of the entire surrender. I'm going to surrender wholly, completely. We're talking about a sacrament in just a second. But the idea of this burnt offering was that the whole animal would be sacrificed. What about us in the sacrament? What sacrifice? The animal in us. Our entire sacrifice, the whole animal. Complete, total surrender. And what that correlates to is that it's a constant daily offering uh, that they needed to be done. Okay? Yeah. Right. Yeah, the burnt offering on a regular basis because the idea of this too, saying as Israel we will sacrifice and what they focused on there was the idea of the, the smoke going up. It's like prayers going up, up on high. Okay. Okay, the third one is the peace offerings. Okay. Uh, and these peace offerings, take a guess, we're going to offer these sacrifices when? When we are at peace. So it's actually an offering that's done out of gratitude or gladness. When you look at uh, 1 Nephi 2, Lehi is going to get a land of promise. He's going to take his family. They're going to go out. They're going to park by the river. He's going to set up his tent. Then he's going to say, I think it's in verse 7, um, he's going to say, we're going to set up an altar of rocks and we are going to sacrifice. And this, these are a peace offering. This is a gratitude offering. We're out of the city where all the destruction is about to occur. Yeah? Are these still practiced today? No. Yes. Yes, they are. Did you go to church yesterday? Okay, so hold on to that one. 
So part of what's going to happen, we're about to, the, this section 59 was given on a Sunday. So they're at the Temple Mount on a Sunday. And the Lord's about to teach them something about how to prepare us to be disciples, to be saints, to be members of Zion. And what he's going to do is he's going to say, all right, in order for there to be spiritual power, you have to bring three things together. First of all, you've got to, you've got to be in a sacred place. What makes a sacred place? Well, well, for instance, like a temple, well, what makes the temple sacred? That should be dedicated like they're about to do at the Kansas City Temple. This is a nice place, but it's about to be a dedicated place. The Lord has, <coughs> think about your last calling, the Lord has set it apart. Everything is over here, this is how the world operates, but I'm going to take you and I'm going to set you apart. You're going to be different from everybody else. <coughs> with different responsibilities. He, will, he does that with land. We will dedicate this land that one day the, the Temple of New Jerusalem will be here and it is now set apart. It's consecrated space. A chapel is very much that way. Okay? Sacred places. There has to be sacred times. There are times appointed to be in sacred places. Now, what are you going to then introduce in a, in a sacred, you got a sacred spot, you got a sacred time, who belongs there? Sacred people. That's the next part of that. So power comes in sacred places, at sacred times, with sacred people. All of them set apart, all of them consecrated to come together. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, now, with that in mind, let's talk about how we do this. So here are there are the three oh, It's amazing how water just shows up. Right through the door. It's just weird. Okay. So here are, how are we consecrated? How do we become sacred people? Baptism. <coughs> Obeying those commandments. When are we going to come to be unspotted, despotted, perfected? When do we do that? In the temple is the refinement. Yes, it is. And it is those times we go into the temple to renew those the, the, that endowment of power. And then on a regular basis to get us through, we're going to come, like you did yesterday, come to a sacred place at a sacred time appointed. Sacred meeting time, right? And, and to then prepare a people for the temple, we're going to give you the sacrament. Now, think of it. Do we do a sin offering as part of the sacrament? Remember what the sin offering is for. It's to remove trespasses, right? It's forgiveness of our sins. Okay? And, we're, and that's usually about where we stop, right? This is one of those times when, when 
Brothers and sisters, as Latter-day Saints, we don't have the slightest idea, most of the time, what we're doing with the sacrament. And the incredible power and symbolism and consecration that comes with this very, very simple act. Because only a third of it has to do with removing of sins. Because we know that when we take in the sacrament, we do it worthily, we're cleansed, we're now ready to walk out and, and cleanse and unspotted to move forward. Okay? But to quote Ronco, but wait, there's more. Do we do burnt offerings as far as part of the sacrament? Remember, what's the purpose of the burnt offering? It's the whole self. It's the complete surrender. Part of what happens with the, the sacrament is that we should be offering our whole selves, our time, our talents, our efforts, that's part of what we're doing. So this simple act of the sacrament is not just renewing our covenants of baptism. Although it's more of that. But it's also this complete surrender. And I'm offering again, each week, my whole self. And all everything that I have. Well, if you think of that the symbology of the, of the language there. Yes. Um, the burnt offering regarding uh, how the Holy Ghost And refined us and remove the dross from in that refining process. Great point. But isn't it the whole picture of Jesus doing this for us? Yes. He, he was the example. Yeah. And he did offer his whole, his whole self, did he not? So then he's saying, and I want you to do the same thing. In other words, if you're going to go through this communion, yeah, with a broken heart, contrite spirit, and what are you going to do contritely? Offer all of you. Every bit of you. And that's all on the altar. That's what the sacrament table is. It's our altar. And then finally, the peace offerings. Are we doing a peace offering? as part of the sacrament? A thank offering? In what way? Absolutely. And there's our moment to just express gratitude. This is our thank offering. Now, because the terminology, think of how we say this. I'm going to go to sacrament meeting and do what? Take the sacrament. It's something being given to me. We don't always think about reversing this and say, I'm going to offer me up. So that's what I'd say to you. At the sacrament, what are you offering? Are you just taking the sacrament? Are you receiving the sacrament? What are you offering back to Him? That's what the burnt offering. We're the ones that are supposed to literally be coming to the sacrament table and putting our animal on the altar. We, and we have to make that effort to go to the temple and 
put it there. Are you able to then go to sacrament meeting and say, I am bringing my gratitude, I'm bringing my thanks, I'm bringing my whole selves, I'm bringing my sins, and I am offering it back to Him. It has to be an offering from me to Him. Not just, I went to the, I took the bread and I took the water. And then I got the sacrament. Can you give me the sacrament? We have somebody who's sick. Can you go to them and give them the sacrament? Okay, yeah. Kind of say, and what have you offered? It's supposed to be an offering. Okay, now with that in mind, then, now let's go to section 59, 9 through 12. Oops. Now see if this makes more sense with that as a backdrop. Verse 9. And, oh, thank God in all things. That sounds like the thank offering, right? Thou shalt offer a sacrifice, offer unto the Lord thy God in righteousness, even that of a broken heart, contrite spirit. We're sacrificing the animal in us. And, that thou mayest more fully keep thyself unspotted from the world. Do you ever feel like you go through the day, through the week, spotted? The stuff you hear, the stuff you're exposed to, the stuff you're around, the stuff you're in, the stuff that, the assault that is on us at all times. You ever feel spotted? Like, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to read that. I didn't want to be exposed to that. And it's almost like you get this splotch. That you may go, uh, that you may be unspotted, despotted, cleansed. Let me add one more thing. How are we unspotted? The symbolism is in the Book of Mormon. If your garments are splotted, how will they be made clean? Wash the blood of the Lamb. Weird symbolism, isn't it? You have a spotted garment, we're going to dip it in blood and it will come out clean. That you can be unspotted from the world, thou shalt go to the house of prayer. Where are you going? Consecrated place. So that you will be clean. I need you to go to a house of prayer, to a consecrated place. Well, I don't need to go to no church. I can get closer to God out on the lake while I'm fishing on a Sunday morning than to be with them dear hypocrites. <laughs> I get closer. I take my family into the woods and we just have our own spiritual experience. We don't be needing no church garbage. You must, if you'll be sanctified, if you, if you will be unspotted, you must go to a set-apart place. So go to the house of prayer and offer up the sacraments, broken heart, contract spirit, gratitude, the whole self. Offer all of that up. And when are you going to do that? Upon my holy day. Right. People in the right place at the right time. It's called sacred space, sacred time. 
And every, every uh, society that I know of, I'm always struck, for instance, when we're down in, uh, among the Mayan ruins, the, the concept that they had of this, of people that are sanctified and purified, uh, and then they go to a sacred place set apart, and on certain times, times of the greatest light, the, the summer solstice, as it comes, is like the time of greatest light. And you're supposed to be there at the right time so that you can be absorb the most light. Why? Because that was a sacred moment. And they wait for that. And, and as you know, for a lot of times at that sacred moment, at the time of greatest light, here it comes, and, and, the, and the snake, the Tetsuquadal, the shadow of the snake, starts showing up down the staircase on these days. And, and God has come at that sacred moment to be sanctified. So, if you're going to be unspotted, I want to make sure that you're clean, that you've come to the house of prayer, the right place, at the right day. And, and for verily, this day is appointed, it's set apart, to rest from your labors and to pay your devotions unto the Most High. And I think we've talked about this before. We've talked about to rest... What happened? What, what, when we talk about rest, what are we talking about? <coughs> yeah, we're going to rest from our labors the same way that God rested, right? He got to the sixth day and he went, oh man, I'm pooped. It's just been a hard week and I, boy, I need a break. Those Alps are killers. <laughs> so I need a rest. I need like a celestial lazy boy. What did he mean by rest? It's a different word. What kind of word? It's sacred work. To be recharged spiritually. Yeah, he's going to be recharged. And how he did that, by the way, it's in this is God. He rested, he saw what he had created, and he called it good. It's a way of getting gratitude. Hey, this is really good. I, I kind of like those mountains. That, that turned out really well. That's what resting is. It's, it's getting to that sacred place and declaring it good. And worshiping it doesn't mean, um, bless his heart, we had uh, the quintessential moment in High Priest a couple of weeks ago. Right at the moment, a dramatic part of the lesson, we had this pause. And this good brother in our high priest court on that. And he looked around the world and he just all broke out laughing. And he goes,
You, you, are you having a place in mind? Well, no, but I mean, like, you know, you, you talk, you kind of hear about the hillbilly out doing his thing in the, in the wilderness, but, like, you know, you can, you can take your family to a sacred place that, yeah. that maybe not set apart, but have a sacred moment and a sacred time. And, and, and the things that, yeah, I get you, and, and, I, and I, I think that's true. I mean, it's, it's different than going to a chapel, but... Right. You know, like if, if you're away from home or something and you can have your you can have your time, yeah. No, I, I get you. And I, I think those happen. I think there are gonna be those moments when we are someplace and, and we have a chance to to uh, have sacred moments and that dedicates that in a way. For that particular yeah. thing, I, I I'm always struck by that what again, why it is the church put so much money into our historical sites. Because uh, I don't know necessarily that uh, before before it was actually dedicated as one of ours, that the Carthage Jail was necessarily a sacred place. But from the first drop of Hiram's blood in that place, it became sacred. It became set apart. And you only can step into that upper room at Carthage Jail and go, even if we had never dedicated it formally, because of the blood that was shed in there, it was made sacred. And I think sometimes there are experiences that we have with our family that may, may make this for a while. Death of a loved one become a sacred place. I, I think that's a great That's a great point. Yeah. Well, I, it's, it's interesting. I mean, if, if we were to go to any church where they're, they're you know, preaching about the Savior or right. singing yes. and all of that, yes. If we, yeah. if we tweaked your doctrine just a little bit, it would, you know, become similar to, to ours as well. But what uh, what makes it important to show up in our chapels on Sunday, as opposed to other chapels, is that in ours, that's where the ordinances are. Yeah. We can we can go to any church and, and worship. And have a sacred experience. Have a sacred experience. But, but ours point. is where the ordinances are. Great point. Okay. Boy, we're, we're running. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lop off a couple of things. Make sure you go back and read the PowerPoint because there's some stuff I'm going to leave out. But in this, but there's a couple of things I want to still do before we get done. And it comes here in 13. Um, because I think one of the things that sometimes we have in the church is a misunderstanding. Part of this sacredness and unspottedness and unspottedness. That's a word. Despottedness. <laughs> is a misunderstanding I think sometimes about fasting I think sometimes with by the way with fasting what's the proper fast look in the handbook is a proper fast 24 hours no two meals Culture made it 24. I don't know about you, I eat three meals in 24 hours. But I think, but if, if, that's, if that works for you to get you closer to the Spirit, then do 24. But, the, but there's a spiritual concept that comes with fasting. And here's, here's the part that I'm concerned about sometimes in the church. That we will, we will, use, we will use fasting as the trump card to get what we want. I'm not getting answers. 
and I'm praying and not getting answers, I will use the spiritual trump card and not eat. Because then I can get the answers that I'm not getting normally. Listen closely to the way that fasting is described here, because it's beautifully put. On this day thou shalt do no other thing, only let thy food be prepared with singleness of heart, that thy fasting may be perfect. What are we doing preparing food if we're fasting? Isn't that odd? I thought there would be no food. Maybe it's absence. This is, you're perfecting your fast, so you're preparing your food simply. Making sandwiches for later. Yeah. <laughs> Bring sandwiches instead of barbecue. Yeah. Listen closely and read the rest though. That thy fasting may be perfect, or in other words, that joy may be full. Verily, this is fasting and prayer, or in other words, rejoicing in prayer. What if it turned out that fasting has very little to do with food? I've told the story before that when I was when, when my kids were younger and Cindy would have to get on me a little bit because I always talked about the fact that we would have three fast Sundays and one slow Sunday. Because <laughs> fast Sunday seemed to be always the slowest Sunday because you just wait until you could eat again. And I and oftentimes I didn't get the point. It's like we're gonna wake up and go, Oh, is it fast Sunday? That's right. What do we need? We got to fast with purpose. So it's like Christmas. What do you want? <laughs> it's like, it's like, because it's going to happen. You guys are going to do it. Those of you who are moms, here comes Mother's Day. What do you want for Mother's Day? I want my kids to be happy and wonderful. <laughs> and no fighting and peace and love and joy. I don't need anything. Thank you very much. Oh, please. <laughs> And fasting felt like that sometimes. It's like, what do you want? Okay, we're going to fast for a purpose. What do I need? Okay. Really? I don't see a whole lot about starving in this verse. Sometimes I think also we forget that in addition to the fasting part, is that we're helping, the purpose is to kind of help others, to take yes. ourselves to help others. So if we're preparing food, perhaps we're preparing food to, back in this time, give to, give to the bishop. Yes. To, yeah. As an offering. What if you saw fast Sunday? We call it fast Sunday, right? What if we called it what the Lord did? What if we called it rejoicing Sunday? In other words, this is a day of extra rejoicing. Probably they would think we lost our minds. But that's, that's what he's saying. Fasting is rejoicing. That's what it is. Now, if, if the process of sacrificing what we're eating helps us get to a better place and, ex and express outwardly the sacrifice and the surrender that we're feeling inside, awesome. That's part of the deal. But I remember having this conversation with my dad who said, uh, because of the medication that he was taking, he said, I'm really feeling bad that I can't fast anymore. And I said, really? Why? Well, because I have to eat. Yeah. What does that have to do with anything? And he said, I don't get it. And I said, in here. I said, take a look at this. Fasting is rejoicing. 
And you can be eating simple meals if, you're, if your body requires it very simply and be rejoicing and be fasting as much or more than somebody who is just doing an irritating hunger because they didn't eat. Time remaining. I guess I'm going to leave part of the lesson out because we ran out of time because you guys have such great comments. Um, I want to finish with this if I can. Um, I want to remind you of a, a part of a lesson that we did not too long ago. I want you to hop over to section 41 for just a second. Verse 9. Remember when we talked about Edward Partridge? I have called my servant Edward Partridge. I have given a commandment that he should be appointed by the voice of the church, ordained a bishop to lead his merchandise. Remember, he was a shopkeeper, storekeeper. And to spend all his time in the labors of the church. 11. And this because his heart is pure before me. He is like unto Nathaniel of old in whom there is no you get this beautiful childlike personality in Edward Partridge. And he just loves and he just trusts. And people around him. And based on that, the Lord's going to say, then I need you as a bishop. And if I want somebody giving up the property, I want somebody without God. Without ego. Now, so keep that in mind. We talked about having, how many of you, I believe, have the heart of Nathaniel the heart of Edward Partridge, without guile. And you're always an amazement to me. 
But now I want you to go to section 59, because we're going to have this little... Uh, nope, 58. It's wrong. Talking about Edward Partridge. Look at 17. My servant Edward Partridge. Whoso standeth in this mission as this bishop in Zion is appointed to be a judge in Israel like it was in ancient days to divide the lands of the, inherit, of the heritage of God unto his children. Oh, and I wish we had time to talk about the heritage of God. But, uh, and to judge his people by the testimony of the judge just and the assistance of his counselors. This is Edward Partridge with the heart of Nathaniel. So explain to me verse 15. Also talking about Edward Partridge. Just because you have that heart doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. I think that's part of it, that it, you can have that guileless that still make mistakes and still need to repent. I think that's part of it. But listen to what he's being accused of. Unbelief. Unbelief and blindness of heart. That's not just a few ouchies and it's time to repent. That's big time stuff. But this is a man, but, and let me just put this in context, okay? We have this guileless, wonderful man who then the Lord says, I'm going to make you a bishop in, in Zion to divide the, uh, the properties and to be the judge in Israel and I'm going to take all of this and I'm going to put it on your shoulders. What would his reaction be? They found the leader school. I can't do that. Think you feel a little inadequate? Think he feel a little bit overwhelmed? You know, they're, they're, in fact, when he wait, he got he's about to get uh, in about another year he's about to get the plans for building the temple in New Jerusalem. Kirtland was supposed to be a complex of three temples. His is twenty four. He was a presiding bishop. He was not like a bishop, obviously. Right. He was over the money. Yeah. So he was a successful businessman. He was a successful businessman. But if you say, if the Lord is saying, I want you to do all this, it may have been like, but I think he has. I'm a hat guy. Yeah. And he has no guile. It's like I didn't want to be the bishop. Okay, so let me ask you a question. He's being, here's where his problem is. He's, he's saying, you need to repent of your unbelief and your blindness of heart. What was his unbelief in? Himself. What was his blindness of heart? I'm not sure the Lord can make a, take a hat seller and turn him into a bishop. That seems like a huge... Because I know me. I'm inadequate. I'm not... I, I make mistakes. I'm not that great... I'm not that good with people. 
I just try and do the best I can. I'm not sure that the Lord can take someone like that and turn them into a bishop and a judge in Israel. It was a lack of belief, first of all, in himself, and that the Lord could take himself and make him into this wonderful, powerful bishop. It was about himself. I, I just wonder, too, since he was over finance, I mean, it took everything we had to build currently, and now we're saying we're going to build 24 of these yeah. in Jackson County. And he's going, I can't do that. I don't have to build it. Yeah. <laughs> like the church says I have money. Yeah, I, I can't do this. This is like the brother of Jared sitting there for four years on the banks of the river going, or on the, on the sea going, how am I supposed to get him over this, these waters? And, and just kind of being so overwhelmed by all of this. So let, let me just finish by saying this. I think this is one of those great lessons. Edward Partridge continues to be a great example to me that says, the Lord will take people without guile. And he's going to ask tons of you. He's going to need a lot from you. And you're going to be overwhelmed. And you're going to wonder why he picked you. And you're going to try and convince him that you're not the right person for the job. Because he doesn't know you very well. And he's going to make you into the... What, and all he needs is your lack of guile and your surrender. And he can take that and turn you into everything that he needs you to be because he's God. And because you're willing. And because you trust him. I know I've talked a lot about One thing that's always interesting to me, Joseph said he died in Nauvoo. That he died partly from the stress of, of doing everything the same thing. Yeah. Which is interesting to me in our lives today, what we think is stress or from your professional standpoint. Yeah. Sometimes we lie the Lord and yeah. yeah. That's why I love to go into the old burial ground in Nauvoo and stand at the grave site of Edward Partridge. He has the largest tombstone. He does have the largest tombstone in that old burial ground. Yeah. Um, I think so particularly Yeah, and it isn't. Take that guileless heart and just let him mold you. Just let him touch you. Uh, brothers and sisters, I, I, I bury my testimony. This is such great stuff. These were real people with real struggles. Sometimes in the Book of Mormon or the New Testament, Paul seems a long ways away, or Alma is a little harder to picture. We got journals, we got writings by these people, and they had warts and they had mistakes and they did dumb things, and the Lord took imperfect people and created a kingdom out of that. He can do that with us. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. We, have, we have a closing prayer? Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> My dear beloved eternal Heavenly Father, we're so very grateful to thee for thy spirit that's been here and for the things that thou hast taught us through the spirit and through the things that Brother Hinckley has presented before us in the scriptures. We're so grateful that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and that our understanding of the gospel is deepening and increasing. And we pray that as we ponder upon the things that we've discussed today, that we will 
See how they apply to each of us individually in our lives and to our families. And we will feel thy love and to understand thy will for us. And we pray for these things and pray for a blessing upon everyone here. The blessings of any need. And we say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate it.